0: I'm Ishbel MacFarlane, and this is the third episode of this Teenie Wee podcast about the Scottish poet and translator Edwin Morgan. In this podcast I've been trying to explore the connections between three corners of a triangle. The corners are Edwin Morgan's life, my life and Scottish culture. My focus within Morgan's life has been mostly on his personal transformation in the middle of the last century. A second life which he recorded in his breakthrough collection, The Second Life. In my own life, my focus is on the fog of my present. My slow birth into my own second life as a mother. And for Scottish culture, it has had too many lives to count, but that doesn't mean we shouldn't try. The move from performed, repressed, heteropatriarchy of the past and present to open, accepting, creative rainbow culture of the present and future has proved to be a long, drawn-out labour. Possibly the two corners of my triangle which seem furthest from each other are my life as a mother and Morgan's life as an unmarried gay man. Morgan never had kids. His work doesn't explore the child's experience often, or the parent's experience either. In his most famous works, mostly from the 1960s, children are props to indicate stability and happiness. A fact which made me tense with sadness reading those poems again last autumn. The women with prams and the children playing on Glasgow Green have the children mostly as flags, which read, I am fine. And as little as I know about the struggles of being gay in the judgmental and dangerous 1960s, neither does Morgan know about the lives of mothers either then or now. How could he? How could I? Well, through reading, for a start which we both did and do. We both need to look to that third corner of the triangle, the culture in Scotland, to have any access to each other. And the gay experience which he lived in the 1960s can only be seen through the cracks in the wall of mid-20th century literature in Scotland and abroad. It was so obscured that as we found in the last episode, even when it was there, it wasn't seen. Hidden in plain view. What is maybe surprising then, is the extent to which the experience of motherhood, that seemingly celebrated state of womanhood, is also a rough-edged gap in our literature. There are mothers in literature, many, but they are the mothers of the sons who we learn about. Maybe, occasionally, mothers of the daughters. The voice of the mother is heard from below, filtered through the grown-up child protagonist. Sometimes they are the wives of the protagonist too. They mother the offspring of the grown-up child we are there to learn about. These mothers can be spunky or caring, driven or conventional. They can be a range of things that the writer from below sees, but they cannot be the speaker. There are a million ways I see myself reflected in literature more than other people do through whiteness, through being able bodied, through being middle class. But motherhood and Scottishness are two paths of my identity that are not thoroughly paved with other people's words and experiences. They aren't entirely unexplored by any stretch. There are hundreds of books by Scots, thousands by mothers as well, but they're not the main way, the main flow of our culture still, even in Scotland. The women writers I have loved longest Charlotte Bronte, Virginia Woolf, Jane Austen, Liz Lochhead, Christina Rossetti, Carol Ann Duffy are not mothers. There are many writers I love now who are mothers and there are writers who write about Scotland and there are writers who sometimes do both at once. Glimpses of Scotland in the words of Kate Atkinson or Alice Munro would send amazed thrills up my body. I have yet to revisit the books of theirs and others that I loved as a teenager to find glimpses of my motherhood experience smashing through the walls of my first readings. I was a teenager who knew everything there was to know about motherhood because who knows a mother better than her daughter? Hardly anyone teenage, Ishbel, except her own mother, her mother's mother, except herself, But how can she see herself if she can't see herself? Okay, thank you again. (laughs) It's me. Hello.
1: It suddenly is professional, it's (laughs) about.
0: I made the first two of these podcast episodes in the autumn of 2020. I interviewed my husband, Tommy, then, to try and explore our feelings about parenthood partly in the context of the pandemic, which has in some ways stretched out our small baby life for months beyond where we would expect to have it. But also in the context of where we were, of our Glasgow mapped on Morgan's Glasgow, living a mile from his home of nearly 50 years. Um, so we spoke before in September about May, And about um, the change in the city while you've been with me and in our experience, um, the change in life and what it's like to be a human being. Mm. I interviewed Tommy again in January 2021, when our thoughts had turned from the breadth and depth of parenting to language. It was, it still is, a fortnight later, the absolute main thing we talk about. It is the forum and content of our lives. Um, And there's obviously been a big change in May since then, Mm. since September. And the focus of this episode is um, language. And we've, like, it's a major topic of conversation between us in the house at the moment is the way that May's language is just completely exploding. Yeah. But the fact that Edwin Morgan didn't have children doesn't mean that he was not exploring the interests that my motherhood lights in me. Aliens and computers are the learners in his work, while in mine, it's babies'. One baby. One baby, one mother. A mm. uh, shark. A uh, shark. So, the other sort. So, okay. uh, shark. Shark? I don't know if the shark is here. I
1: think it's in the bath. Is it
0: the whale? My uh, shark. A uh, shark. The shark's in the bath. Shall we
1: go and find it? My
0: uh, shark. Yeah, get the shirt, you have to open the door. Yeah, it's true. The first Men on Mercury is the most famous of Morgan's poems about language learning. Though the Second Life collection has several other poems which explore the bones of language, its use and changes, translation and purpose. Poems like Space Poem One, From Leica to Gagarin, or the computer's first Christmas card, or the Chaffinch map of Scotland. In The First Men on Mercury, though, Morgan explicitly explores the power dynamics of translation, or learning, the colonialism of the mind, as well as the literal colonialism of the explorer, whether they are conquering new worlds or just, in inverted commas, learning about them, coming in peace. In the poem, there are two groups speaking, the Earthmen and the Mercurians. The most obvious job the poem does is to start with standard English from the men and an invented language from the aliens. After a couple of interactions, the aliens begin to learn from the invaders, echoing their word men and then parsing the word thmen from earthmen, as well as ulida, from your leader, but quickly the earthmen reflect back this interpretation of English in their speak, I am the you leader, and then they use the Mercurian word banner, maybe meaning weapon when they say we carry no banner. Slowly the speech of the two groups converges as a mixter maxter pigeon, but they each keep going. Past mutual intelligibility until it is the earthmen who are unintelligible to us, saying stretter war a gall, gall and the Mercurians warn Of course, but nothing is ever the same now is it? You'll remember Mercury. Here is a recording of Morgan reading the poem himself and, wonderfully, doing all the voices.
2: The first man on Mercury. We come in peace from a third planet. Would you take us, dear leader? Boar Strider, Bor Strider Hall. This is a little plastic model of a solar system with working parts. You are here, and we are there, and we are now here with you. It is it clear? Gol about Where we come from is blue and white with brown. You see we call the brown here land, the blue is sea, and the white is clouds over land and sea. We live on the surface of the brown land, all round is sea and clouds. We are men. Men come Goloch men men Menko Menho Men come in peace from the third planet, which we call Earth. We are men Take us Earthmen, dear. The men, the men, Bor Bor Hossop, Yulida Tan, Harabus Yulida I am the Yulida. You see my hands, we carry no banner, we come in peace. The space rays are all stir on glon peace men all horabana tanko Tan come atoms throssop, gulop Yulida Atoms are peaceful in our haraban men but waterbus from Tanana Hanna. You mean we know, Bor hossop tent, boar, we know, Ulreda. Uh. Go, strog, back spider, quick. We can tent about, tenting and go back spatter, now. Bang, hopper now. Yes, third planet, back. Uh. we will go back blue, white, brown now, hannah. Uh, there is no more talk. Go, hand, fast Happer. No, you must go back to your planet. Go back in peace. Take what you have gained, but quickly. "'Stitter, water, go, go. Of course, but nothing is ever the same now, is it? You'll remember Mercury.
0: There's a depth to that poem which is more than the game of the switch over, the game of the accelerated linguistic influence between the two languages. Language change is natural, inevitable, and in many ways, neutral. But there are politics in language change too, politics in language learning. Standard English has gone round the world, asking to speak to the you leader, or not bothering, but not coming in peace. Not at all. Morgan, like me, writes in the language of the oppressor, but also in the language of the oppressed. Things which happened to Scott's language also happened to the native languages of India or Sierra Leone or North America. Scots has been suppressed and oppressed by the dominance of English, dominance enforced from above by weapons and laws, and then also from below. After being made worthless in a new hierarchy, the very speakers police each other's use. Want their children to get ahead, mock and dismiss their own words and grammar of a thousand years standing as slang. And yet, do not stop there with your politics of Scots language. That is too easy. Deadly easy. Scots speakers... Sometimes monoglot Scots speakers, sometimes bilinguals with English, sometimes Gaelic speakers, were among those soldiers, farmers, trappers, and explorers in India or Sierra Leone or North America. Scots speakers pushed out Gaelic in Scotland historically, helped to push out Kota in India, Bomb in Sierra Leone, Eastern Abenaki in Canada. A hundred languages, a thousand. It is right for a Scot to write the first men on Mercury. We are Gollum-like, both sides of the conversation, learner, warner, explorer, conqueror, defender, both sinned against and sinning. So what is it to speak to our baby in standard English, a language of an oppressor? I had so many plans for her linguistic landscape, and yet we scratch along with English. I suppose it will have to do. And I find that really like interesting, and and interesting in relation to May as well, because we, um, we had big plans that I was we were going to really bring May up with BSL, the BSL that I knew, and to try and take her to BSL environments, as I'm sort of been learning bsl and also to kind of increase my under my learning of bsl
2: yeah
0: and (coughs) and and then also to be using scots with our loads
1: yeah
0: but because i don't tend to use broad scots with you yeah because that's not the way that our relationship built up when we first knew each other at university
2: Mm.
0: even though i use standard Scottish English with like Scots inflection and you understand it, It was was, we haven't and I don't know, yeah I just, I kind of, there's this mess of languages, (laughs) the the Anglic, you know, the standard English, Anglo-Saxon, Scots and they're sort of, I don't know, this like pile of them and what, which ones you're allowed and which ones you're not allowed.
1: Well, I'd love to use that as a way to learn Scots if you want to, like, you know, sometimes we'll say, right, we're going to try just for the next hour or two, you know, like whenever I need to talk, I'm going to try and use Scots. And if I stumble on a word, I'm going to ask you for it and we'll see how long I survive.
0: Yeah. And And I do, we, we've got a lot of Scots language kids books now, which makes a massive difference. It really does. Yeah. There is politics, guilt weight to language learning. It doesn't mean nothing for the Mercurians to say, Bang, happer, now. Yes, third planet back. Eulida will go back blue, white, brown. Now, Hannah, there is no more talk. But May can't reject our language, can't reject its politics, weight and guilt, for her, for now, actually, language, when she has it, is light, freedom. The frustrations she feels are frustrations that she will have throughout her life. The struggle of not having a word or not making her language understood. And she has to deal with that a lot as her fixed-minded parents try to understand her airy, blowing swoosh around words. Each word may has, has to do a lot of lifting. Her first word was hat, spoken on her dad's birthday on one of the first days of our first lockdown and meaning, at that time, the game where I put a basket on my head and then on her head. A few days later she used it to mean the woolly thing we put on her head when it's cold. Then, the word grew like a trifid, and came to mean anything worn on the head or neck. Glasses, scarves, masks, hijab, helmets, hairband, bows, earrings, an extravagant hairstyle. Her sleep suits, which she draped around her shoulders and wore to scoot about the flat in her wee car, looking, said her dad, like an eccentric opera goer. She became obsessed with hats, Video calls with her grandparents involved demanding that they wear hats. Playing with her teddies meant putting on and taking off hats. The golden, golden joy of having the word, of having us understand it. She wanted as much of that in her life as we could take. But nearly a year later, The word is shrinking back down again. Some things are glasses. Some things are eings. Some are hats. The more words she has, the more bricks she has, the more she can join us, settle in. For now she has only our bricks and not as many as we'd hoped. There's only the two of us and I player. Her no has become now. Her book has become book. The way that May's language is just completely exploding. Yeah. And um, we've got this little jotter and we write down a date and the words that she's said for the first time on that date. Or often it's actually... We'll, one of us will put it down the there and'll be like oh I've heard that a few times isn't that or not in the book <laughs> um but you know it's just, it's just as scientific as we can get when it's just like a daughter in the kitchen um but so yeah we've and we've had like most recently in an 11 day period she'd learned a hundred words which is just mind-boggling mm. um but you <coughs> have you have experience of uh, children's, um, language development from a sort of professional point of view a little bit okay well you studied it as a, as a yeah, postgrad. grad I did um, and what, how do you think that like what, what are the different el- elements of, of your interest because we're both very excited like why are you excited about me's language
1: um, it's really interesting from that point of view like you know you're talking about the academic side it's really interesting to watch. <coughs> you you'd never, you'd never get that much data, you know, in any other way. And I actually wanted, Oh, can I get my bit of paper? Okay. Yes. Hang on because this is relevant, I think. 11th of January 2019, Tommy G.C. Herbert. I would like it recorded that I don't believe I could possibly be underestimating how hard the first few months of parenthood are going to be. Signed, Tommy Herbert. Witnessed, Ishbel McFarlane. And uh, one of the ways in which that turned out to be false is that um, (laughs) I had imagined that at this point I would be reading journal articles about language acquisition in children because it's like the perfect... Uh, longitudinal study, you know, you've got as much access as you want, it's much better than, but you know, even if you were going to do like a long-term study with one kid as a, as a researcher, you'd only be hoping for like an hour a week or something to visit them and record them and so on. So yeah, I'm really excited to just at least watch that in an informal way, even though (laughs) (laughs) turns out I don't actually have time to uh, do it as a scientist, but like, um, yeah, like, so, um, the, phonology is interesting like the way she uh, swaps two consonants in a word that she's just trying to acquire um the, yeah like like the, the the rate the sheer rate at like you say that she's acquiring these um elements in her vocabulary and also we're starting to see uh, within a single word we've got like um, a bit of morphology coming as well so we're talking about her acquiring not only the word walking but also the word walk and the suffix ing so that's you know it's really interesting to see that sort of gradually slowly coming in and we're getting into like two word sentences now and I feel like proper syntax isn't too far off so that's going to be brilliant as well
0: there's a poetry to language learning Edwin Morgan knew that every parent with a toddler knows that there is the poetry of the search for meaning The way that thought becomes sound becomes thought so openly when you're interpreting. All the ways that the skill and speed of our communication has papered over the remarkable fact of what speech is. What language is. The paper is torn down, layer after layer, to reveal bare, beautiful walls. Or maybe... Not even walls to start. Holding the mammal that is a newborn. Light, dark, spots on a circle for mother's face, smells to truffle towards the breast. There isn't a brick or stone above ground yet, only foundations in that breathing frame. Barely human, sometimes barely mammal in its froggy limbs. Your own paper is ripped and walls come down exhaustion terror unknowing builds them down raised you are a pile of bricks and stone ashlar and stripped wallpaper kindling you feel you will never see language see life in the same way but then you know you do Life is a bricklayer, and you rebuild the walls. I can remember feeling like a raised building in May's early days, in the long, feverish dream of the first weeks. I thought of the lines from A Man For All Seasons. My life was planted thick with laws from coast to coast, my laws, not God's, and with them cut down, did I really think I could stand upright in the winds that would blow then? And here I was, room without a roof, baby, blew me wide open to meaning, to what was existence beyond walls and beds and possessions, to mammal love, to animal birth and death and finding food in between. I can remember that I felt that, but I cannot remember how it felt. Life is a bricklayer, concrete pourer and I am a house again, but I am still a little unpapered by my language learning baby who said last night, cuddle moon, kiss moon, where you gone moon? But May is not the only poet, as she slowly builds her walls and makes mistakes and shines light where I'd never seen it before. As we stretch to reach and understand her words, you have to pull the poet out of yourself. What could she mean here? Why? Is it something real or something imagined? Something present or something asked for? It's almost always now desires, realities, imagined things. She has a few BSL signs, she has shouts and cries and points, but mostly she has her 300 spoken words and the terrible amateur poets that she lives with. Delighted amateur poets. Here she is in September, at 16 months, when she woke in the middle of the night to say hello to our yellow lit street. Out of the window. Hello, Bower Street.
2: Hello, Bower Street. Oh, yes. Daddy.
1: Funny,
0: to interact with things, with people, to speak to the street, the moon, to call the attention of her daddy. What joy, what power, what relief. But the better she gets, sometimes the more frustrated. Nearly, so nearly we understand her. Or we hit on the wrong thing and sometimes her face. I haven't got the words to describe her wee face. Taking the error into herself. Disappointed but feeling she's wrong also. Sometimes angry too. Why? She has been clear. We have understood her before, why not now? Here she is, four months after waking in the night to speak to the street. She is sitting on the bed after the bath, in the warm room before sleep. Mm. Uh, shark. Uh, shark. So, the other so, so. Uh, shark. Shark. I don't know if the shark is here. I
1: think it's in the bath. Is, is it the, the whale?
0: My shark! Oh, shark! The shark's in the bath.
1: Shall we go and find it?
0: My shark! The door! No, the shark! The door! Yeah, I get the shark, you have to open the door. Yeah, it's true. But she ploughs on tries another intonation, tries another new word, adds more words for the wee jotter. Today, on the 3rd of February 2021, at a week of 21 months, the wee green jotter has 321 words. The first 50 words took 18 months. The second 50 words took 7 weeks. The third 50 words took a fortnight and the fourth 50 words took four days. And at the same time, I am plodding along with my Duolingo app, trying to resuscitate my school French, and I tell you, it is not a fair comparison. Three new words this weekish: I spell, gold star, meaningless gems. And meanwhile, in the last week, my daughter has tumbled through dress, Rosie. Cow. How doing? Flax seeds. Bottle. Warum. Button. Tap. Cuckoo. Magpie. Gosh. Trousers. Nice. Cup. Please. Thank you. Now. Wipe. Jacket. Glove. Watch. Tommy. Leaf. Pocket. Dreams. Spider. Wolf. Monkey. Wall. Nipple. Ribbit. Where are you going? Grandad, shoulders, chips, page, giraffe, hippo, open, funny, running, milk, floor, train, puzzle, scruffy, potty, cute, messy, hide, sleep, drawing, what's the matter, blanket, pens. She is an alien. She is a computer. She is old as old English. She is Scots and Anglo-Saxon. She is Cambridge and Kinross and Glasgow and Edinburgh and Bror Stretter, Bor Bor, Stretter Hall. She needs no translator, she needs only a translator. She will carry across my grandparents' language to the next century. She is bridge and river, wall and sky. Train, puzzle, scruffy, poppy, cute, messy, hide, sleep, drawing, what's the matter, blanket, pens. And I will keep recording her in the jotter, in wee recordings on my phone. I will use all my ethnographic training to study this utterly ordinary and unexceptional little alien who has powers us earthmen can only dream of. I will record her as she learns my language and keeps going, beyond the needful and into space where I can't follow. She'll take or leave the bricks I offer, but nothing is ever the same now, is it? You'll remember Mercury. But as she blasts forward into space, into the future, our final episode will take us back, back one thousand years to Anglo-Saxon, to the language that sounds remarkably like the Mercurian Boer Stretters, a language of weapons and Eulidas. And in Morgan's life we will go to his dark decade, before the second life, in his first life, in the 1950s, where he translated Beowulf for want of love where I will try to translate it for excess of it.